children left, they are dismissed, but I think they all escaped already. Um, just before I do the scripture reading, I'd just like to remind everybody here that we have had three infants born this last year, and which is just marvelous. And that's not counting anybody else who might come in from the community with um, young children. So we are reactivating the nursery, um, which we have done for a number of years. So I will be contacting everybody and anybody, male and female, um, over the next little while to see if we can't put together a roster for um, people to go in and stay in the nursery so that the mothers don't have to feel that they have to sit in there and miss out all the time. It might mean one or two Sundays out of the whole year if everybody participates. And so I'm just giving you fair warning. I will be contacting you. And I will say, I've never thought of this as low Sunday. I've always thought of it as basking in the afterglow of Christmas. The hello, you know, all of the, the fussiness is all over, and we are blessed to sit back and just look at and reflect on what the Lord has done for us. So our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 2, verse 7 to 18. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed in, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. <clears throat> when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. So New Year's Eve day, the last morning of the year, and tomorrow morning we start again. Anybody feel like things will be new tomorrow? I'm trying to see your faces. No, most of you don't seem to be convinced. But it's New Year's Day tomorrow. Everything's new. I won't make uh, illustrations talking about resolutions, uh, how you will determine that things will be different next year, starting tomorrow. 
Do you really expect that anything will be new? If you could have imagined on the first day of 2017 what the year would bring, would you want to know? Would you have wanted to know then? Do you want to know tomorrow or today what 2018 will bring? What will be new about it? Our text this morning takes place, the events that are described take place at a time right after we are told that everything will be made new in Jesus Christ. And then comes this story. And the heart of it is something terrible happening. It strikes me, Norma stands up and talks about kind of how the nursery is experiencing another renewal and and uh, we've mentioned the birth of another baby and the blessing that that is. And we do that. Norma does that and then she reads scripture about something called the slaughter of the innocents. I mention that to say whatever it is in the Holy Spirit that tweaks your attention to listen to what God would say to you, use that. If it's something that you hear about a birth and then you think to yourself, can you imagine those children at that time? The one is born who we are told will make all things new and then this terrible thing happens relatively soon after his birth. Early in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew draws three characters. So there's actually five people in this description, but three characters. One set of those are the wise men I'm calling a character. So there's the wise men, and there's Herod, and there's Jesus. This is the text that we read this morning. I'm not going to focus on the wise men this morning, not much to say about them today, except to tell you and remind you that the wise men are outsiders. They come from afar, as you might have been singing this Christmas season. I mentioned that repeatedly during Advent because in the call of the wise men to Jesus Christ, we see what some commentators call the wide mercy of God. Right from the start, these outsiders, these sky worshipers, are called to Jesus Christ. That's how Matthew starts his gospel. Matthew will end his gospel, chapter 28, with what? The Great Commission. Go to all nations. The beginning is the wise men, outsiders. The end is go to all nations. God's wide mercy. Every expectation, this is Christian faith, that every expectation, every true human longing is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Human longing, not just Christian longing. So why are the wise men called? Because whatever it is that they're after in the worshiping of the stars, whatever it is that they're longing for, is answered in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we would say, not to be exclusive, not to speak against anyone else and their faith, But as Christians, we would say, this is what we still believe, that the longing of the human heart is answered in Jesus Christ, the longing of every human heart. This against the idea that Christian faith should be experienced as some kind of religious subculture. And so we've created through the years Christian subcultures. But the reminder that's helpful is that the longing of all humanity is met in Jesus Christ. 
So for our focus, though, these other two characters, Herod and Jesus, and we're doing this under the umbrella of what is it that can be called new. Herod represents the old way, and you see that in stark depiction in this text, in this uh, description of these events. Herod represents the old way, and Jesus, now just a child still, a couple of years old, while these events are taking place. We bring the wise men to the, to the manger, but in Scripture they went to the house. You know that. But Jesus, this child still, relatively helpless, represents the new. Actually, he doesn't just represent. He is, in Christian faith, the new. Herod's way is the old way, but I want to mention that as you think about this, okay, so there's the old way and the new way. The old way is prevalent at the time of Herod, and we would say it's prevalent today, including in religious circles. The story is that the wise men are led to Jerusalem by the star, and they can't find the child. They go and see Herod. He becomes troubled at their description that they say they've come to see a king, and since he fancies himself king, he is troubled a new thing that might threaten him. It's good language early in the chapter, the first three verses. The wise men came. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And to, for those of you who appreciate language, and for all of us who should be students of Scripture, this, this section here uses this word repeatedly, king. So the wise men came and said, where's the king of the Jews? And the king, Herod, said. See how Matthew draws that to say, there's a problem here, there's a conflict. And Herod represents the old way, a way of fear and suspicion and paranoia and control. That pretty much the way we ought to run our lives is that out there are threats. And we need to figure out how to make it. Herod, of course, is almost comic bookish in this depiction because he is paranoid and afraid. At the point that this, the events described here happen, Herod has, has already had three of his sons killed. His own sons. He's had three of them killed to protect his power because he thinks they want his throne as I say, almost comic bookish in his mania. Apparently, Caesar Augustus, you know where Caesar Augustus figures in this story? You remember, right? Those good Sunday school students of you, among you. Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Well, a quote of Caesar Augustus that's not found in our scripture is this. It is better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Caesar Augustus said that. It seems like an old Netflix show you know, something you discover and that's kind of old and ancient, the way that it used to be? Except that we're reminded that Herod's way is still alive and well in his time and in ours. What I'm about to say, I'm saying not to get political or to take sides, but this quote from a political figure in the West struck me so much, within, it happened within the last month or so, I was, and I, I was offended by it, and I remembered it. And when I was thinking about Herod, this quote came back into my mind. Here's the quote. 
We recognize that weakness is the surest path to conflict, and unrivaled power is the most certain means of defense. It's almost Herodian. And what's interesting to me is that this quote and the powers it represents is being cheered on by many people of Christian faith. Unrivaled power is the answer. But, this is why I say not to get political, because I know what happens in your mind when those of you who start to figure out who may have said something, depending on what side you're on, can get angry. Well, I'm upset that Todd thinks that way. And those of you who maybe are on another side go, yeah, that's a little bit of ammunition for my cause. I'm not interested in telling it to you for that. What happens is, or the thing we ought to be doing, is to understand that in our lives we, we must ask how do, how do the ways that I think and the ways that I act represent the idea that unrivaled power is the answer in life. So you see kind of a, a broadly drawn stick figure of it in a political statement. So I'm not asking that you then use that for ammunition for or against. What I'm saying is, use something like that then to say, how in my life do I think power is the answer? Because these are the two ways, Herod's old way and the way of Jesus Christ, which we will discover as Matthew draws his life in the gospel and then as we see him give his life on the cross. The old way is power, unrivaled power. And the new way, and I, even as I say this, you don't really believe this is what works. That's what's interesting. Even a group of lovely, many Christian people here in this room, the new way is the way of self-sacrifice. But it's naive, isn't it, to think that that would actually work. When we read the Bible, we seek to see ourselves in the characters, particularly often in those when we're talking about sin. It can be tough with somebody like Herod. We can say, and I hope you would, well, I'm not like Herod at all. And I would say, I'm glad you're not. But when you remove the extreme, you can see it, that we are tempted to fear and doubt and paranoia and self-protection and thinking that the path to security is power. And we tell each other this and we socialize our children this way. Probably because that is what actually seems to work in the world. Be better than the rest, have more, make sure. Verse 16, Herod's final act in the gospel. And we won't hear much about Herod after this, but his final act in the gospel is the slaughter of innocents. How paranoid can you get? Kill all the babies. It's insanity. Can you see a softer version of that in your life? You would never do something that insane and maniacal. Of course. But what is it that you know heading into 2018? I've got to get this right and do this and then I'll be okay. The way of power. Matthew records this horror and connects it with a prophecy that there would be mourning in the land and weeping 
And that weeping is mentioned in Matthew. And he's going to do this through his whole gospel. He's going to say, this is to fulfill what was spoken, you know, decades and generations ago. This is to fulfill that, that prophecy about mourning in the land. So Matthew takes, and you can only imagine the weeping and the mourning that would happen in an occasion like this. And Matthew says that mourning is over the geography, right? So it's like you can hear weeping over a land. The Bible does that a lot. The Bible talks about the land as weeping, right? In the Cain and Abel story, the Bible talks about how the land itself cried out to God. So Matthew takes this weeping in all of these circumstances and puts it geographically over the land, but he puts it over time as well. So that somehow this heinous act of Herod represents all those terrible acts that seek unrivaled power. And Matthew's weeping is weeping that goes over all history, including, now you think of events today, including today. The old way brings about this kind of weeping. How do you see it? Turn on the news. And watch. And of course, we are brought to consider here that for Jesus to live now, what I mean is now during that moment when these things were happening, for Jesus to live now, innocent children must die. It's a strange. But if you listen with ears attuned to Scripture, you'll see that in the end, for all to live, Jesus will die. For everything to be redeemed. Herod's way is the old way, and we are ever tempted towards it. In Matthew's telling now, Jesus and his family go to Egypt. They become a refugee family. More than that, a fugitive family. They're not just refugees, but they are literally, Herod's trying to find them once that baby killed. But Matthew tells us that Jesus winds up in Egypt, and he does so so that he, Matthew, the gospel writer, can tell us, now good scripture student would know this again, why would Matthew tell you that Jesus went to Egypt and then came from Egypt back to the land? To remind you that it is from Egypt that the deliverer will come, which is again more scripture from generations before. In other words, something new is happening. The old way of power and death and mourning represented by Herod is present and there, but something new is happening in Jesus Christ who will be the deliverer. A new way, new history, new salvation. Jesus becomes representative of a renewed and restored humanity and thanks be to God, and I am ever grateful for this, though there are many occasions for mourning, thanks be to God that the new way of Jesus Christ is not the way of Herod and not the way of unrivaled power. Jesus Christ is the one true human in this story. And his way is decidedly unlike that of Herod. Jesus Christ's his way, his person, is not self-protection, not fear, not control, not power as we understand power in earthly terms, not suspicion and paranoia. Instead, in Jesus Christ, you have something truly new. And here's the remarkable thing. It's still new. Self-sacrifice. Forgiveness. 
trust in the goodness of God. Read on. Matthew will tell us as he un unpacks this gospel and tells these stories. He will tell us of the life of Jesus Christ and everywhere there is this newness. People will be drawn to him who would never be drawn to a leader who talks about unrivaled power as the answer. The people who are broken down, the people who are, can't pretend that they're not sinners, right? The people who are outcast. These people are attracted to Jesus Christ, why? because they've never seen someone like this who has an entirely different way. They don't feel useless and worthless. Those protecting the old way, they're not drawn to Jesus, whether that way is political or religious. And it's still the same today. Through history, it's interesting and troubling to know that those protecting that old way of unrivaled power are not attracted to Jesus. And through Christian history, what's interesting and more troubling is that though they might not be attracted to Jesus, they get pretty adept at using the name Jesus in service of unrivaled power. So that you have people who go by the name Christian and say, Lord, Lord, but represent Herod's way. We'll win by power. Now, you don't have to take my word for this. Read Matthew, same gospel writer, chapter 25. When Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Remember that story, that parable? And they say, what do you mean? And he says, yeah, you used my name all the time saying, Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. It's not for us to figure out who is Christian and who is not. That's a game that we should never, ever play. But it is okay to be mindful that this can be a temptation in life to seek the way of power and use the name of Jesus Christ to somehow sanction that. Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. This is a picture that one day all things will be renewed. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and will be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping. See how this is a new way? The cry of distress will not be heard. Nor shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die at a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not labor in vain or bear, or bear children for calamity. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. This is a picture of all things being made new. And it's fantastical, isn't it? You can't imagine a time like this. Popular band right now, Canadian band, but a song from a number of years ago. Arcade Fire has a song where they sing. And, and basically what they're talking about is the, the darkness of the world and of history. And, but the repeated refrain over and over again, this isn't like a Christian subculture band. This is a big, you know, they're real, legitimate, whatever. But anyhow... 
the repeated refrain is, the lion and the lamb ain't sleeping yet. And it's this. They know that the depiction of all things being made new is this, this peace even in creation, even in the natural world. But they know that if you look at this world, the old way still seems to prevail. The lion and the lamb ain't sleeping yet. And then if you go to Revelation 21.5, this is now from Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior in these visions in Revelation. Revelation 21, right at the end of Scripture, Revelation 21, verse 5. And now you need to play with this. Jesus Christ the King. Remember Herod the King? No, nobody remembers Herod the King. Jesus Christ the King, who at the end of history, which is Revelation 21, trying to depict how history ends, and he who was seated on the throne, there's the King of Kings, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And every tear will be wiped away. And there will be no more mourning. And there will be no more death. The new way, you don't know this yet. I don't know this yet, but I see it in Jesus Christ. The new way prevails. Not yet. And it's tempting to go back to the way, that way of power. Will anything ever be truly new? The Christian answer is yes. In Jesus Christ, all things are made new. You can think of that in your own life. I mean, I know what it's like, of course. We just had Christmas you open things. Are any of your new things old already? Did you break any of your brand new things? You know that can happen? Like sometimes when you have little kids and you open something, this, like there's a cheaper toy and it's broken before the first day. But no matter how new your things are, they be, start to become old right away. I got new wheels for my bike this week. They weren't a Christmas gift. I love my gifts too. My family's the best. But... I was so excited about these new wheels for my bike because I had a claim that lasted over a year. I think it started in 2016. I had some faulty parts. and It's a really good story. You're going to want all the details, but I won't bore you with them now. And I was back and forth with this company where I bought them. They're in, over in Ireland, and they're like, no, we can't fix these. It's your fault. And I'm like, it's not my fault, and I'm a pastor. I actually said that once. Um, <laughs> but nobody cares about God anymore, so I didn't get my wheels. Um, so, uh, I'll give you a little detail. So, it ended when I, they said, we'll give you a break on the price when you buy new ones. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I tried to, I'm like, can you give me more of a break than what you said? And, and in that conversation, it, it came up, that email conversation. I'm like, well, what about the hub? That's another part of the bike. You, did, you never answered my question on that. And they're like, actually, truth be told, we lost all the parts you sent back for inspection. <laughs> yeah. So then that's when my desire for unrivaled power came out. <laughs> but instead I went, oh, thank you for telling me that. What's going to happen? And, and I said, I'm looking at these wheels. Um, can you give me a break? And, and, they, and then the guy said this amazing thing. Next email. We saw the wheels you're looking at. They're expensive bike wheels, um, worth like $600 or something like that for these two wheels. Um, we saw the wheels you're looking at, we've boxed them up, we're sending them to you free of charge. 
and he shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> and three days after Christmas, the wheels arrived, and they are beautiful. And I, I'm not going to use them until the weather's better, but they're sitting in the kitchen, because Jen likes when bike parts are in the kitchen. <laughs> and they're already not as new as when I opened them. Already. Why is the world like this? Of course, in the longing of the human heart, we would say the world is like this because this is the way we are made, that nothing is new and remains new except that which is in the goodness of God, except, we would say, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in him, and you know this no matter how old you are, no matter how, when you walk into your house and you see old things, particularly if you've lived where you've lived for a long time, and you might, your kids might be gone now, and you look and you see something on a little side table, and that thing makes you feel sad because you remember other times. Remember this in your Christian faith. No matter how old you are and broken down you feel, or no matter how old everything around you pronounces itself, in Jesus Christ, all things will be made new. This is our faith. So tonight when you're celebrating, and you don't have to tell somebody you're doing this because it becomes annoying. You know, at midnight you're like, Happy New Year, I'm going to pray now because I'm a believer. Don't do that. Just enjoy the champagne. But in your mind, you might want to separate from the celebration for a moment and just pray, Dear Heavenly Father, would you this year show me what it means that in Jesus Christ all things are made new? The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Consider the way of Jesus, how you might follow that rather than the way of suspicion and fear. And trust me, I know the way of suspicion and fear. It's very tempting to fall into that, particularly for me in my life, it's particularly tempting to fall into that in terms of parenting. It's always a struggle. It doesn't mean you don't protect your kids, but it's always a prayer for me. Lord, show me what it means to trust in you. You ask, what's the way for you? to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the whole world. And as you think about that, and then as you say to somebody, Happy New Year, maybe in your mind it'll mean something better and more. Behold, I make all things new, and now we gather for communion. And we say you are welcome to participate in this communion. It's up to you, by the way. You're welcome as you feel welcome. But what we say is if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to, you're welcome to receive this bread, which represents Jesus' body given for the life of this world. See how that's a new way? The blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the life of the world. This is entirely and always new. And when you take that bread and somebody says to you or you hear the words that we have said, this bread is for the forgiveness of your sins. This bread is the body of Christ broken for you. And the cup, and, the, and with the cup you hear, this represents the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You realize this is an entirely new way than I have ever seen before. And you put your, you put your faith in him and declare your trust in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, by your power and presence, that as we do this little thing, it looks so small, even with this small table here this morning now, it's fitting because it seems so insignificant in terms of the unrivaled power that people are chasing in the world. But your way, this is our faith. 
your way not only will prevail, your way does prevail. Lord Jesus Christ, teach us, show us, form us, heal us, that we could be a blessing in this world. And forgive us for any ways in which we turn your church into a place of earthly power. Show us a better way. We trust you in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.